Welcome to Tech Alpharetta's podcast series, Driving Innovation. I'm Karen Cashin, CEO of Tech Alpharetta. And today we're going to be talking about an under the radar Alpharetta tech exit story. I have here with me today, Stuart Granger, who built a software company here in Alpharetta, had a very successful exit and has gone full steam ahead since then. So welcome, yes, Stuart. Thank you, it's great to be here. Yeah, so uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing today. You're with GoFan now, right? Yeah, today I'm a CTO for GoFan, which is a digital ticketing platform serving high school athletics. And so it was a 15-plus-year-old company in the paper ticket business that saw the evolution to mobile phones and digital. So a couple of years ago they started on that path, and I've come in recently to help them continue that path. Okay, so it's sort of a, a startup within a larger company. They it acquired is. This it's company. sort of the digital evolution of a printed com printed ticket company. Yeah, yeah. So, well, they're making a good pivot to do yes, this now, good, and the timing is right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and speaking of the timing, so given the pandemic, um, has that had an impact on the the ticketing business because that's focused on high school events? Is that right? It has, and in the short term, it's been pretty negative in the from the standpoint of all the schools have, you know, shut down, which means all the events have shut down. But on the you know, flip side, coming out of it, um, because we have a contactless, touchless, digital-only platform, you know, a lot of schools are looking to completely remove cash from the ecosystem of a school. Right. So as things return, um, we, we're seeing a tremendous uptake on our digital product and our cashless product. So we're very optimistic about the long-term future. That's great. That's great. How many employees um, in your particular division, GoFan? So in the digital division, we have about 30 employees. Okay. So, and uh, this will be our third full season in the market with the product. Great. And you guys are located uh, unincorporated, Alfreda, is that right? Yes, just a couple exits up from here. Okay, uh, we've got to get you down here to the city of we're trying. We're trying. In fact, we were very close to doing that when we kind of stopped in March and said, let's reevaluate. And so I think we'll be down here really soon. Good, good. So in the course of your career, you've held CEO roles, CTO roles, the role you have today, and CIO roles. Correct. The CIO role that you had uh, involved uh, building a division of a company in Europe. Is that right? Yeah. I was um, the first CIO for an internet banking platform here in Atlanta. Uh, we were called Security First Network Bank. When I, when I started, we actually owned a bank. Okay. Um, we sold that off to Royal Bank of Canada and became a technology company um, that got shortened to S1. Okay. And we built the world's first internet banking platform. And by the time I left, we had over 5,000 banks on our platform and all our data centers. And my job was to, in addition to the CIO role, to help manage and grow those data centers. So I did that here in the U.S. and then went to London with a couple of colleagues and started the division there and did the same thing. Okay. Okay. And when you left that company, oh, well, let's step back for a second. Would you say that that experience being over in Europe and, and building that, that division and practice in Europe, was that... Uh, similar to running a startup or, or your own business in some degrees? Were you building? Yeah, it, it, you know, it's funny because it, it took a while to realize that when you move your family to another country and you get off a plane and you go get a temporary office space and hire your first employee, that, that's not a lot different than starting your own company. Right. So, you know, I do think I learned a lot of self-confidence in that, hey, maybe I can do this from, from you know, starting a division from scratch, especially, you know, on another continent. 
Um, and, you know, along the way, like most entrepreneurs, I saw a couple of gaps of what was missing in the market. Not so much with our product because I didn't do anything in the fintech space, but just in business in general, I saw, you know, a product I couldn't find for our customers. And, you know, this little, like, voice in the back of my head said, hey, maybe you could start a company and do this. So, yeah, it had a lot to do with it. Interesting. So then when you came back to the U.S. and left that company, did you decide to go off on your own at that point? Yeah. So, you know, the reality is when I came back from Europe, our whole management team had changed out and I was sort of a stranger in a strange land and wasn't necessarily I didn't fit into the new management structure or practice. So, you know, it was sort of like time to go do something different. And I saw the writing on the wall. And so within a few weeks of just talking to people and talking about my idea, I was introduced to a couple of guys that were in a similar place that they had some ideas about starting a business. And the three of us got together and started talking it through. And it, you know, probably in about three weeks, we said, hey, we should try and do this. So we all shook hands on a Friday the 13th and decided to start our company. And was this going to be a company on the in the fintech space, a banking industry platform? No, no. it was. So the the concept of the company was when we were running internet banking platforms, it would take us a long time to give our customers their monthly data feed of how the last month went. Just you know, from a technical standpoint about their quality of the service, and then from a business standpoint about how many people were signing up for this and how many people had multiple accounts with the bank. And, you know, as an operations manager, you're trying to decide on, should I place more ads this week in this weekend's paper, but, you know, to encourage people to come sign up for internet banking. But if I'm doing it with last month's data, I'm not sure I'm doing it, you know, with the right lens. So I saw this opportunity that we're, that we were collecting this data in real time, but, it, but there was this huge delay in getting it out to the business to operationalize it. So the concept was around how, how can we get this data out of these systems and in the hands of the business owners much faster? So that was really, and we didn't know what industry that yeah. would apply best against. So you, you and two business partners got this started. And was that here in Alpharetta at that time? It was. It was. We've always been in Alpharetta. Yeah. So myself and Ted and Steve, my two partners, got together. We all had something to contribute. Um, Steve was a technologist with development resources available for us. Uh, um, I said Steve, right? Yes. Ted, Ted was a CIO like myself. He uh-huh. was working as a consulting CIO, so he had a lot of connections uh, in the into potential customers. And you know, I was kind of looking for you know an operating role to to start a company. So we got together, decided let's give this a go, and we started the company. And that was when early two thousands. Uh, it was Jan- around January of two thousand three. Um, with this, and by the way, in January two thousand three, real time was real hard, right? It yeah, wasn't like it yeah. is today with Early the cloud days. and you, you know data lakes and Hadoop and all these ways right. to like process data in real time. Mm-hmm. It, you know, first thing you had to do back then is you know go spend a hundred thousand dollars on servers and wait for them to show up and stick them in a closet oh, in your wow. office. So, <laughs> and so you became the CEO. Uh, I technically, I was a president and COO okay. uh, uh, of that company. Uh, Ted was the CEO and Steve was our chairman. Okay. So, you know, but we pretty much split the duties. I, I They were doing other things when the f- company first started, so I was sort of full-time focused on it. But after a couple of years, we were getting pretty successful, so they 
you know, started focusing their full-time effort on the company too. Right, right. And so what was the appeal of starting the company in Alpharetta, in the city of Alpharetta? Well, we all lived here. Um, they both lived in Johns Creek. I lived over, I lived actually in South Forsyth, but, you know, was, you know, very close to the Alpharetta area. Right. Um, we had some office space we had taken over by um, what is now Lifetime Fitness on North Point Parkway. Yeah, and, great location. And, the, you know, probably the biggest thing was the ecosystem of engineering and talent that we had developed over our course in Atlanta. A lot of it lived up here and lived around us. So, you know, it was very easy to to at least attract people to the company, you know, yeah. like getting somebody to come talk to you and hiring a quality person when you're a startup are two different things. Yes, yes. I'm sure it's hard to, to lure people away sometimes from yeah, a more I often conventional say that's, setting. That's the hardest thing in starting a startup is to find a really talented person that has a really great job because talented people always have great jobs. Right. And convincing them to leave that stable, you know, high quality job and come believe in your vision and, you know, come work for your three or four, four person startup. Right. Right. With probably a little bit lower salary and benefits in most instances. Yeah. In fact, I used to have the coaching meeting with them when I, I'd convinced them, all right, now you got to go home and talk to your spouse. That's right. Let's see how this is going to go. Right? Yeah. Let's, yeah. You know, that was always very difficult. For sure. Um, and did you yourself find it at all difficult to take that jump, that leap into starting up a company? Was there risk involved for you? I mean, there obviously is the risk of the unknown. Um, I feel like I got over a little bit of that, having gotten on a plane and moved to another country and started a business that it kind of does work its way out. Like yeah. not everything goes right, but if you're kind of committed, it does. Um, you know, I guess at that point in my life, I was in my you know mid to late 30s right. and, you know, had gotten enough of a financial security blanket that, hey, if it didn't work out in six or 12 months, I could go back and get another job. So, you, you know, I say right. that really the two times in life that it's easiest to start a business or, you know, when you're very young, like 18 to 24, and you don't have a lot of obligations and commitments, right. or maybe on the other side of, you know, I've, I've gotten, you know, a little bit of security built up, but I, that middle part where you buy a house and get have married and have and kids and all yes, that stuff, that, that's, that's a really tough time to say, okay, I'm going to take the, take the jump now. Yeah, definitely. And so did you and, and your business partners take on any investor funding when you started the company? No, we did not. We, um, we self-funded it. Um, we, it took us a few months to get our pitch together. We had this idea of real-time data for business. We bounced around a lot of industries pitching it. We ended up um, in the contact center business because we knew a lot of the executives at Singular Wireless. And when we talked to this, the then CIO of Singular, um, he said, you know who really needs real-time information is our call centers because people are waiting to get their call answered. Okay. And if you don't answer, they hang up and they call somebody else and we may never get that chance yeah, to service them again. Sense. So we ended up in the contact center industry servicing you know, their, their needs on you know, several large player platforms, including Cisco and Avaya and Genesis. Right. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate enough to sign our first deal about five months after we started. 
with That's a delivery fast. at the end of the year. And, yeah. uh, and we talked them into, not talked them, but we negotiated our way into getting paid half up front, right. which so, I don't yeah. think you can do that <laughs> these days. No. And so through the combination, we were able to deliver the first product. It was successful. We kept signing new customers and new business. And we did, we did eventually take a couple of rounds of debt financing, mm-hmm. but never any venture financing. Oh, that's fantastic. And, yeah, it was. And uh, Not that, somewhat like, unusual. I, I say it, it was fantastic from an ownership standpoint yes. and a dilution standpoint, but we did meet some fantastic VCs that would definitely been, you know, additive to right. our company beyond right. just the money. Yeah. Um, so I do think probably we could have gotten further faster if we had those relationships and okay. connections. But, you know, obviously if you can do it without the equity dilution of the you know, Absolutely. founders, it's, it's the best for, for them, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And how many employees did you build the company to? I think we were uh, just over 70 when we sold the company. Okay. Yeah. And uh, tell me about that sale. Were you guys looking to sell the company as you were going along and growing it? No, we actually weren't. Well, we weren't, we, but we were getting to a point where we needed a bigger infusion of capital. So mm-hmm. we actually had two term sheets that we had gotten from two different VCs that we had negotiated through and we're down to selecting the final um, one. And um, we got a call from a president of a Fortune 500 division here in America and said, hey, I was in a, you know, I've been following your progress at several of your big customers. Um, I was in the offices at Singular Wireless, which is now AT&T, um, and talked to some people. And I went back to our board and talked to you about your company and you're an acquisition target for us. And I said, wow. Yeah, I said, this is like somebody walking up to your door and knocking on your front door and saying, hey, I want to buy your house. Right. And you're like, it's not for sale. And yeah. I don't even know what the houses in this neighborhood are worth. Right. <laughs> so, so, no, we weren't looking to sell it at all. That's unbelievable. Yeah. But we learned, we quickly learned what you need to do. And so we put together prospectus and got, you know, 20 something companies to see our original, you know, sort of prospectus. And that went to seven, which went to like three. And that's the three that ended up being the final three. Okay. Yeah. And so let's see, you had started the company in 2003. So about when did it happen that you got that unexpected call? So we got the call in uh, the fall of 20, uh, 2007, so about a little under five years, about four and a half years after we started the company. And we, so we signed, uh, we shook hands to start the company on Friday the 13th, and we actually closed the sale of our company on December 7th, D-Day, okay. a little under five years later. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that's amazing. And because you and your business partners hadn't diluted your ownership at all, right. um, I'm sure that it worked out well for the three of you to sell um, at that time, the end of 2007. So was it a successful exit? It was a successful exit. Um, you, you know, uh, it, you know, you have to look at that. If we had taken another round of capital, we pr- probably could have gotten a lot bigger, a lot faster. But then to get back to the multiple of where you exited, you were probably looking at another two to three years. And then, of course, we all know in the spring of 2008, the Great Recession, and it became a much more difficult, not only operating environment, but, you know, exit environment. So, I, you know, hindsight's 2020, but yet all worked out right. perfectly Right. So that for us sale was really timely. Mm-hmm. And um, 
so you got uh, multiple return on on your investments. Absolutely, or yeah, it was a very revenue. good uh, multiple, sort of in the you know I'd say seven to eight x factor. So congratulations, you know, it was very good for us. And it was a very quiet exit, right? Just kind of under the radar, not intentionally quiet, but just a done deal, and and yeah, nobody was, necessarily heard about it. No, it was uh, to uh, a Fortune five hundred company with a division here in Atlanta. So they kind of we continued operating the company as an independent division for a year or two, and then kind of absorbed into them and. You know, a, a lot of my people stay. I stayed for four years. A lot of people stayed a lot longer. Some of the people are still there. You know, what is it? Twelve years later. Oh, so, can you tell us what company it was? Yeah, so it was Genesis Telecommunications, okay. which was part yeah. of Alcatel Lucent at that point. They've since spun out uh, through right. private equity uh, into their own company and are actually doing quite well. Um, we were big partners with Cisco Systems, mm-hmm. so I know a lot of people at Cisco and think you know. They're just both of those are phenomenal companies, and they're and it's a Absolutely. race every day between them. They're I think they're both just like they've got they understand exactly what to do in this market. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a phenomenal opportunity for you all after building that company uh, to sell to to a company like Genesis. Yeah. And then you said you stayed on for a few years. Yep. And then what? Buy watercraft, retire, sail, yeah. sail the yeah. world. So my, uh, so one of the guys, Steve, one of my partners, and I were talking. He says, you know, when you kind of try and retire in your early forties, like you find out that most people that are retired aren't in their early forties, and so you, you know, you don't. It's not like uh, kind of on your own up there, uh, huh? entourage on HBO, or right. you and your four buddies get to drive around in the Cadillac <laughs> yeah, all day. So yeah. no, I took a, just a little bit of time off, and um, you know, was pretty intellectual bored, so yeah. you know, didn't want to go back to necessarily a corporate job right away. So right. I started doing some consulting and did amazing uh, effort in the biotech space and okay. around a- antibodies and proteins and you know all the stuff that we're hearing a lot about now. Yeah. So yeah. and then uh, uh, just a couple other consulting roles mm-hmm. and and then uh, you know I was contacted about the the GoFan product. I have a a, a uh, Sophomore, a rising junior in high school at Blessed Trinity and uh, plays football. So um, I was really fortunate to get to see the product in action. And so I had I was great use case and user experience for it. And I was like, yeah, I'd like to help grow this. So. Yeah, yeah. So how did you find out about GoFan? Somebody just contacted you out of the blue or did you have a contact in the company that talked to you? How did that come about? Well, it, it just so happened that one of the guys I went to Europe with uh-huh. uh, actually was my boss here in Atlanta and then um, ended up coming over to help run the European group and become uh-huh. my boss again, um, is a partner in uh, okay. the main venture firm that's invested in the company. And he called me and says, hey, I got something that I think might be interesting for you. Okay. So, yeah. So it's all back to that network. To your network. It yeah. Is. The network is always critical. It is. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah. So where do you see GoFan over the next few years? Well, I, I think, you know, there's going to going to be a phenomenal acceleration of, you know, digital and cashless and contactless in in our school systems. Um, You know, there were already a ton of, like, reasons to do it for security and cost and, and, you know, cleanliness from just a general standpoint of not handling cash and not having 
tens of thousands of dollars in cash at the end of a Friday night to have to go right. figure out how to get it in the bank securely. Yeah, and, and hiring and police too. to guard your yeah. you know, ticket window True. and all that stuff. So, you know, we were already kind of promoting that. But of course, you know, with the pandemic, you know, it's become more of a mandate yes. for a lot of the schools to find safe, effective ways. So that's really accelerated where we had hoped to be from a cashless standpoint by probably three to four years in the market sp- space. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, just like I was reading that online grocery shopping has like quadrupled. And once it. they once the pandemic's over. Over, they think it'll stay up by two to three hundred percent because people have become right. used to that being a part of their environment. And right? Life. Yeah, they're and comfortable. And we're very hopeful that the same thing happens with cashless transactions in schools. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I mean, the, the students were already preferring and highly acclimated to right. digital purchases anyway. Yeah. So the last time I tried to give increase. my seventeen-year-old a twenty-dollar bill, he was like, "Can't you just put that on my card?" <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the way it goes. Right. Well, Stuart, thanks for joining us here today, Stuart Granger, and a successful Alpharetta tech exit story. Thanks again for joining us. Oh, it's, it's great to see you, and uh, good luck with your efforts at GoFan. Yeah, thank you so much, Karen. Mm-hmm. 